thingy. Yep. I'll give the boys a chance to get it together. Um, for those of you this morning, there are some sermon notes that go with this morning's message. If you didn't get any sermon notes, if you'd just like to put your hand up, I'm sure that our hosts will uh, ensure that you get some sermon notes. They are frantically looking around right now. There's uh, some coming. Excellent. Put your hands up nice and tall so that we can see. Over here, down the front. Any others? One more down here. There's Naomi up the back as well. Well, Merry New Year. (laughs) Just thought I'd get in it like as a cross section, you know. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, just Merry New Year. I'm sure to get all of you with that one, eh? Cool. So uh, we stand on the threshold this morning of 2016 and uh, some of you may have been thinking that, uh, man, I want this year to be different from last year. You know, I, I'm glad that 2015 is over. I'm looking forward to 2016. I'm believing for God to do some new things, to open up new opportunities, maybe for some doors to close on the past and for some doors to open into my future. Uh, believing for a, a completely different year from, uh, from uh, 2015. 2015 was like just, I'm glad it's over. But 2016, we need to believe for, for God to do the, some new things, you know. And the, the reality is this, that if we want a different result from last year, then we're going to have to do something different this year. Because if we want to uh, continue to do what we did last year, but then we are not going to really experience any sort of difference. If we continue to do the same thing over and over, we're not going to get a different result. We actually need to change something. So and uh, I'm not asking us this morning that we need to change a hundred things. I'm going to suggest to us that maybe we need to change one or two things in going into 2016 that are actually going to see a different outcome come about for us as we launch into 2016. So my message this morning, it just has really uh, 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 encouragement to pursue one simple focus for 2016. I want us to all enc- to be encouraged to simply do this, to give our God for best, give our, uh, our best life for God, you know, to, to do our best for what God wants to do. Just, just make that simple adjustment in our life. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we are, no matter who we're interacting with, no matter uh, where we find ourselves, we're going to make a determination to give our best for God. In fact, as we're doing this Daring Faith series, I'm actually going to say this, I dare you to give your best for God this year. I I actually dare you to do that. What would your workplace look like if you actually gave your best for God? What would your school or your university look like if you actually gave your best for God? What would our families look like if we actually gave, what could our church look like if we gave our best for God in 2016. What could life look like? Because I don't know about you, but my, my heart's desire is, I want my life to count for something. 
I know that like all of us here, we want our lives to count for something, don't we? It's something I think that we naturally are drawn towards. We want to be able to leave a legacy. We want to be able to influence or impact other people's lives to such an extent that should we pass and go to be with Jesus, that we're going to be remembered not for just the flash in the pan that we were, but our lives had significance. They had a wonder about them. You know, and that's what I want us for, to do in this whole thing. And to, do, to be able to give our best, I think that what we need to do is have an eye for eternity, not for the here and now. It's, it's great to do and live for the here and now, but you know, if we want our lives to have an impact, our lives need to have an impact that lasts for an eternity. Because I know that if I'm, I'm asking us to give our best for God, God's already done that. God gave His Son to us, Jesus. It was His best. His one and only Son He gave to us. He didn't hold back in giving us the very best, did He? He gave us Jesus. So what would life look like for us this year if we used more of our time, our money and our energy on something that's going to last for eternity? What would it look like? God tells us many times that this world is not going to last. Jesus is actually going to come back again a second time and take his people to be with him in heaven for eternity. So should that fact have any impact on how we live. And I want to suggest to you this morning, it should. It should have an impact. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 12 says, Since everything on earth will be, done, be gone one day, what kind of people should you be? Your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as you wait for the day of God. And here it is, do your best to make it come soon. Do your best. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to do my best this year. Let's determine this morning that we're going to give our best. We're going to do our best. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, whatever you, uh, work you do, do your best. So that means that uh, God tells us to, to, to look for the, be- the, the best and think the best, uh, to do what's best, to give our best. Colossians 3.22 says, don't just do the minimum to get by, but do your best. God tells us over and over again in His Word to do our best. In, in one, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8 says, Do your best to improve your faith. Who'd have thought that was in there? But do your best to improve your faith. You do this, and this is, He starts to tell us then, how do we do that? He says, You do this by adding goodness, understanding, self control, patience devotion to God, concern for others and love. If you keep growing in this way, in other words, if you continue to do these things, you continue to outwork these things in your life, what he says is it shows that Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. In other words, there's going to be a legacy that we leave behind because we've put into practice what God's Word says for us to do. We're going to improve our faith. Who knows? Who's Whose faith needs to be improved today? Okay. I I think most of us would agree that some level, some way, that we need to improve our faith. You know, sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, but I've prayed for people who've got a cold and I've caught their cold. (laughs) And just once I'd like to lay my hands on on a person who's got a cold and see the cold go. 
You know, I don't know about you, that, that, that's an area that I could improve in my faith. I'd love to be able to see and talk to, to more people and see them come alive to, to the message of the good news, to see them become born again. I want to improve my faith in the area of believing for, for greater harvest of, of lives to be changed with the good news. I want my family to know the, the message of the good news. I want them to walk with Jesus. I want them to experience the life of transformation that comes about because of someone telling them about Jesus. Who, am I just preaching to... to am I, are we in the right place? Okay, does anyone... like Help me to preach this morning, okay? It's the 3rd of January. It's the first Sunday. Come on. Okay, let's go. You ready? Put your, your thinking caps on, put your clapping hands together, and, and let's, let's, let's do this together, all right? Like, I'm not going to preach on my own. I need you guys to help me to do this. So how do we give our best to God? That's a great question. I'm glad someone... Who, who asked that question? Oh, it was me. How do we give our best to God? I love that. What a great question, Joe. Thank you very much. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, gives us... An incredible insight in how we can live our lives the best for God. He says this, endure hardship like a good soldier. Everyone say good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets tied up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, everyone say an athlete. He says he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer, everyone say hardworking farmer. He says the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. Think about these three illustrations he goes on to say. Think about the good soldier. Think about the athlete. Think about the farmer. He says, think about these three illustrations and the Lord will help you to understand how they apply to you. So this morning what I'm going to do is to talk about this this thing called an effective soldier, a competitive athlete and a productive farmer to help us understand how we can live our lives the best for God. Anyone else want to come on the ride? Excellent. So here's the question I got to ask. What does an effective soldier do? He actually saves lives. What does a competitive athlete do? They win the prize. And what does a productive farmer do? They harvest for a greater size. So if we're wanting to save lives, if we're wanting to win the prize, if we're wanting to harvest a greater size in our lives, you're in the right place this morning. Because I believe that as we start to understand this, that God's going to help us to see how we can give our best to Him this morning. Amen? Amen. So let's look at these three examples. Lessons number one. Lesson number one. In looking at the armed services. <clears throat> to be the best I can be, we need, we need to do three things that every effective soldier does. Number one, we've got to define what we will die for. We have got to define what we will die for. We're not ready to live until we've defined what we'd die for. See... God's got something in store for us. God's got something ahead for us. He's got a purpose and a plan for every single person in our lives. It's something that will cause you to 
have a quiver in your liver. It'll, it'll just make you come alive. It'll just make you just resonate with purpose. It'll give you a reason to get out of bed in the in first thing in the morning. And until you discover what that purpose is, what that, that redemptive purpose that God has a plan for your life in that area, then you're not going to come alive. You're just going to exist. You're just going to go through survival mode, just going from one day to the next day because you're not living a life of purpose. And we need to understand what God's purpose for our lives is. We need to understand that God has got a purpose for us. And we need to understand, you know what? Some things I'm going to give my life up to pursue. One of those things must be the purpose of God in our lives. We've got to understand what the purpose of God is for our life. Know what's worth dying for. The person or the thing that we give our life for. Jesus understood what he was going to give his life for. It was the whole of mankind. To bring all of mankind, to give them the opportunity to come into a right relationship with God the Father. He was willing to give up his life for that. He understood what he was willing to give up his life for. If we were to look at many other great people who have given up their lives for a great purpose, a great uh, ideal, an ideology, a philosophy or whatever, no greater one has, has there been than Jesus. Jesus gave his whole life for uh, the whole of mankind. John 15 verse 13 says, the, great, the greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. Soldiers understand that some days are a matter of life and death. When it talks about the greatest love, it's, it's the measure we, uh, of love by the amount of sacrifice given. We, we measure that love by the amount of sacrifice that's given. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. Okay, what are we prepared to die for this morning? Secondly, this is what a, a, a soldier does, an effective soldier. We've got to sacrifice our comfort. I've got to, I'll be real honest with you. Life today in the Western world is pretty cushy. It's pretty comfortable. Like we're not challenged a great deal to, to live out on the streets or we're not challenged with... Uh, you know, f- f- having to go to uh, the rubbish tip and to find our evening meal for our, us and our family. You know, we don't have those sorts of things. We may find that we're struggling financially. We may find that from time to time we're in seasons of, of lack and, and we're not having enough to, to make the ends meet, but it's nowhere near to the extent that we would see in, in Calcutta or any of the third world countries around about. We're not fighting for our survival in the Middle East right now. We're not frightened to go and sit in a cafe in France, uh, you know, because of the, the threat of terrorism or ISIS or, or anything like that. We've got it fairly cushy, really fairly cushy in, in Australia right now. Uh, and we don't become great by doing what's easy and comfortable. Sometimes we've got to rouse ourselves to be able to go and to pursue what God has got for us, that purpose in our lives. Soldiers have given up their comfort to serve others. They endure hardship so that others can find safety and security and salvation from the enemy. My brother was in the armed services. He, he was in the army for a number of years. My son is in the, uh, uh, in the, in the RAF. He serves as, as in, in uh, Edinburgh. And, and the things, the stories that they, they've both told me about, things that they've endured so that we can live safely in Australia today because the armed services are on the job, because they're doing what they're being trained to do. They're being trained to live outside of a comfort zone. You know, they told me that... I found this hard to believe. I couldn't believe that it was true. They went out on these exercises and, and they went out into the bush and they didn't take their lounge suites. 
I couldn't believe that. They even had to leave their, their HD uh, TVs behind, you know. They, they, they could take their, their 3D glasses, but they weren't allowed to take their 3D TVs, you know. There's stuff that they've given up in comfort so that they can help us, so that we can live in safety today. They've, they've decided that they're going to leave behind comfort. And we need to understand that there's some things that we need to leave behind as well. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to start to, to walk out what God wants us to do in, in some way, shape or form. In 2 Timothy chapter Chapter 2, verse 3, it says, endure hardship. Endure hardship. With us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What kind of hardship could he mean? Sometimes it's a battle and it's hard work to do what's right. To do the right thing. To speak up for truth. To go into battle for someone who's being bullied. To stand up for righteousness. To, to make a sound in our parliament when they're trying to do things, perhaps bring in laws that are contrary to what we believe as Christians. To stand up for righteousness. Sometimes we've got to step out of our comfort zones. We've got to endure hardship for those things. Nothing great is ever done without a sacrifice. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Live a life of sacrificial love just like Christ loved us and gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice for us. Sometimes we've just got to step out of our comfort zones and do what we need to do, what must be done to see the kingdom of God grow. Sometimes we've got to speak up to people that are, we see that are struggling and say, you know what, I can see you're struggling right now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I actually believe that prayer works. I know that God loves you. And, I, and it's my firm belief that he can meet your need right now. And you step up and you talk to someone about Jesus. You step out of your comfort zone. Well, oh, but you don't know. I, 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 I clam up. I, I don't know what to say in those instances. God's word says, you know what, in those times when it comes to talk, I'll give you the words to speak. You just got to start the process by opening your mouth. You just got to start talking to people and saying to. Cool. What are we sacrificing ourselves for, church? What are we sacrificing our lives for? Do we want to be like Jesus? Really? Then who are we offering our life for? Thirdly. Soldiers eliminate distractions. They eliminate distractions. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 says, As Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become entangled in the affairs of this life, wasting time, for then you can't please your commanding officer who enlisted you in his army. If I was to ask us this morning, what can we not do without? There's some things that I just can't do with that. What would you say this morning? You know, for me, chocolate. <laughs> Especially at Christmas and New Year. My PS3. My PlayStation. Coffee. Uh, coffee. I've got, got to know. Coffee. What could we not live without? The Bible has lots to say about intentionally doing without things for a greater purpose. The Bible uses phrase like this. Okay, it says, let go of. 
lay aside, cast off, get rid of it. This is what the Bible terms these things in. It's it's so that we can understand some of the things that we need to let go of, the things that we need to, to put off. What could we give up in order to have more time for loving and serving God or being able to give more to God's work this year? What would God challenge you in the area of being able to, to avoid it becoming a distraction that you give that certain thing up in order to pursue what God has for your life and for the lives of those around about you? Again, how would our life change for the better if we gave more of our time, money and energy to what really matters and has an eternal significance in our lives? The second illustration we're going to use this morning is that of sports. An athlete. I could relate to this one because I are one. I don't know about you, but how many else here ran over 1,100 kilometers this, in 2015? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Athlete. You walked that. Man, I'm in awe. Excellent. So here we go. Lessons from sports. An athlete. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 says this. In a race, everyone runs. So there's the walkers. You're out, okay? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last. But we do it for an eternal reward that will last forever. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around, he says. Like an athlete, I discipline myself making sacrifices and training my body to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear I might be disqualified from the race. To be the best that we can be for God, I believe that there are three things that we can learn from that an athlete does in their life. Number one, you've got to intend to win. If you're running in a race, if you're an athlete, like who who trains to come last? You know, it's not much training that, to do, that you need to do that, is there? Like, who starts a business to fail? I don't know. You know I'm going to start this business. I'm going to actually invent something that no one wants and no one's going to pay any money for. In fact, I'll waste heaps of money to be able to do that. And I'll think of ways that I can turn customers off and push them away from me. And I'll be the worst boss that I can possibly be because I really want to go into this business to fail. I mean, I'd love to work for that person, not... But we don't do that, do we? We actually go into business, we attempt to achieve things with the purpose of being successful in what we're wanting to do, don't we? So it's the same thing that we need to do. We've got to intend to win. It won't happen accidentally and it won't happen without effort. It's got to be a goal that we aspire to that we're going to actually succeed. Because when we have a a desire to do this, then we're going to put into place plans and strategies that are going to help us to achieve those things. People don't do the business with that intention of failing. 
So people go into business to succeed, to create wealth and opportunities, to provide a service. And surely we need to have that same attitude in living our lives for Jesus. How serious are we about really living for Jesus this year? To give our best for, to live it for Jesus this year. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, In a race everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. In other words, intend to succeed. Intend to succeed. Truth here. You know, some of us, okay, this, I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. Is that okay? Some of us here won't be the great person God made you to be. Some of you won't be the great person that God created you to be. And I'll tell you why. You don't want it badly enough or deeply enough. You understand all these things that we're talking about. God's got a great plan for your life and stuff like that. But you don't want it badly enough. You're not willing to pursue the things that you need to do, to give up the comfort that you need to do to be able to achieve and to, to pursue God's purpose in your life. It's like a, uh, something you just do on a Sunday. Uh, are you... Are you okay? It's true. It really is. But the choice is ours. The choice is yours. Are you really going to pursue what God's got on your life? Are you going to pursue his purpose? Because like the soldier, we've got to know that there are lives at stake here. There's life and death. It's a matter of life and death for some families. We've got to understand that sometimes we've got to step up to the plate. How badly do you want to win the prize? Prize is the eternal salvation of people's souls. To bring them into relationship, not so that we can get another notch on our gun, but so that we can join with God with the greatest purpose on earth to see people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. One Timothy six twelve says, "Run your best in the race." of faith and win eternal life for yourself for this is the life that God called you to when you profess your faith before many witnesses second thing that a uh, an, an athlete does is they've got to discipline themselves discipline discipline it won't happen if we do whatever we feel like we live by our feelings or our moods. We can't make up our own rules. There's no shortcuts to maturity. See, I've just mentioned two swear words really for Christians. Discipline and maturity. We don't like those words. We think that they're alien to what we need to do. We don't need discipline or maturity to, to be a Christian. We just go fluffing through life like uh, hopping on clouds says 2 Timothy 2.5 says, If anyone competes as an athlete, he cannot receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. There's rules in place. They're principles. Turn to the person next to you. There's principles. And try not to spit in their eye when you say the per. All right? Principles. 1 Corinthians 9.25 and 27 says, To win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes into strict training just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last. But we do it for an eternal reward that will last forever. In verse 27 says, So I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. 
This coming year, 2016, I'm, gonna, I'm letting everyone know on the third day of this year what my goal for my physical exercise is in this coming year. Okay, you ready for this? I am, sh- I, I, like 2015, I aimed for 1,000 kilometers of walking, running, okay? In 2016, I'm shooting for the goal of 2,500 kilometers running, walking, and riding. So I've got a push bike, Okay. I want, to, I want to tell you right now, that's not going to be easy for me, okay? Because I've had this 2015, I know what it's like in middle of winter going out for a run, okay? I know that it's cold, like zero degrees and I've gone out. I know that it's going to take discipline in this 2016 for me to achieve my goal. What discipline do we need to put into place as Christians in our Christian walk to see the kingdom of God grow, to see this church and other great churches in our communities grow? I want to see every single Christian church within the Adelaide Hills overflowing, partnering together, joined hand in hand, seeing the kingdom of God grow and expand because I believe that our communities need to see communities do that. The churches do that. It's actually something we can work, but it's going to take discipline, church. It's going to take discipline. It's not just going to happen, not just going to fall in our laps. We all know the stories of what Olympic athletes give up to be their best at their sport. What are we willing to do without in order to be the best? Are we willing to do without popularity or comfort? Or more money. You know, in, in your sermon notes, you've got this picture of the Navy SEALs. And they're holding up these logs. And there's a saying there that says, The pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. What does that mean? What it means is this. The if-only syndrome. We come, this is why I'm a pastor today. Okay, God, I was a police officer for 25 years beforehand. Okay? I knew that there was a call of God in my life in the area of being in full-time ministry. And then there's, uh, God brought about circumstances and, and uh, there came an opportunity to, to step in to be the pastor of this church. And I knew that what I w- didn't, want to have happen was, didn't want to have happen was that I would come to the end of my life still a police officer saying, what if? What if? I didn't want to experience the pain of regret over the pain of discipline or the pain of taking a step of faith. Sometimes we've got to step out of our comfort zone because I've got no plan B. If I don't make doing this, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got black mark on my thumb. Okay, this proves to me I'm not a carpenter. (laughs) Okay, yesterday I was putting up some shade cloth ready for our Christmas do and I mistook my thumb for a nail. And I thought, gee, that looks very pink. I might hit it. <laughs> and so I thought, let's go for it. And I smacked it. With an, I didn't do it on purpose, right? Just, okay. I just hit my... Th- I'm not a carpenter. There's no plan B. Too many of us have got a comfort zone of a plan B. If I don't make it doing this, if I don't talk to my, my family and friends about Jesus, someone else will. But maybe God's wanting you to do it because it'll have more impact with your family. What do we wish we'd be more disciplined about? This is the secret of personal discipline, okay? We do it for an eternal reward. We do this for an eternal reward. 
Number three, we must stay focused on the reward. Okay? We must remember the payoff, the result, the prize, the reward. It's what enabled Jesus to endure the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did. He never lost sight of where he was headed. He never lost sight of where he was headed. Let this motivate us to be likewise disciplined. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 26, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. We've got to stay focused on the finish line. We've got to ignore the crowd in the stands, whether they're cheering or jeering. It doesn't matter. We've got to stay focused on that prize that God is calling us forward. And third thing, a third illustration, that of an effective farmer. So we talked about the armed services, a soldier. We've talked about an athlete. Now we're going to be talking about a farmer, a productive farmer. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 14 says this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Then God will generously provide all that you need, and you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, we will give, he will give you many opportunities to do good, and he'll produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched so that you can give even more generously. You'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts and your generosity will prove your obedience to the good news of Christ. Our life on earth is really like planting a garden. In, in heaven, we'll reap the seeds sown here. In heaven, we're going to enjoy the fruit of what we plant on earth. Because there's some things that we're going to plant here that we will only ever reap in eternity. It's why we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. That's why we've got to keep doing that. See, Jesus actually said five times, store up treasures in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven, he says. To reap a great harvest, we've got to start to plant generously in faith. And that's why in this daring faith stuff, it's, you know, we've got to do our best in some things. Jane and I have done this many times. We've been deliberate about the seeds that we're sowing because we know that our harvest will be in the same form as the seed that we have, uh, have sown. You know what? If you're looking for some area uh, to, to sow seed into, look at the fruit of it. Look at, is that something that you're wanting to have replicated in your life? You've got to look at the fruit of stuff. Think about what you need as a family to, to, to move ahead or to move forward. Is that what you're, you know, the, the, the ministry that you're sowing into, is that going to bear fruit that reaps a, a similar seed? Because if you plant an orange seed, you don't get apples. If you plant a, a, a cucumber seed, you don't get watermelon. If you plant a cucumber seed, you get cucumbers. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. What you sow, you're going to reap. You need to think about the seeds that you're sowing. I want to end with this, this message this morning with just two promises of God. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, Give and it will be given back to you. You'll be given much. It will be poured into your hands, more than you can hold. You'll be given so much that it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way that God will give to you. 
In Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, Jesus said, I guarantee you this, anyone who gives up anything for my sake and the good news, whether a home or a family member or property, it will get back more, uh, more than that back, multiplied a hundredfold, and in, uh, in the world to come, they'll be given life forever. We've got to understand that there's a, a, a principle of sowing and reaping. Now, I'm going to talk more about the farmer in the, in the weeks ahead because I believe that there's some things there that we can do and understand in this area of daring faith. But this morning, I wanted us to understand, give us a brief overview that, you know what? A soldier saves lives. What are we willing to die for? We've got to ask ourselves the question. An athlete wins the prize. What can we develop? What area can we develop greater discipline in as like the modeled by an athlete? And a farmer, they harvest a greater size. What seeds are we sowing and in what amount are we doing it? Are we doing it grudgingly or are we doing it willingly with a cheerful heart? Good questions. This year will be radically different than last year if we make a shift in our focus. If we simply made a decision to give God our best this year. I believe that we would start to see some great things happen when we make that shift. How different would our workplace be or our school? How different would our family look? How different would our finances be? How different would our church be? How different would this community be if a group of people who go to these churches in Adelaide and the Adelaide Hills and the Mount Barker region and a little bit wide, how different would our community be if they saw a group of people who were willing to do some things that were extraordinary because they'd 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 suddenly seen what it is that God has created them to do and to be in our community. Right here, right now, I believe that there are politicians in the waiting. Right here, right now, I believe that there are millionaires because God has put the seed of entrepreneurship inside your heart. God wants to construct you and to, to build you and to shape you. I believe that there are statesmen here. There are people here that uh, are are gifted in ways that are going to see so many avenues and doors open for you to be able to share the gospel. Young people, do whatever it is that God has called you to do and to do it with all your heart. I know that some of you are going to, to university this year. I know that some of you are going to enter into a whole culture that's going to shake the things that you believe. My encouragement to you is hang on to God. Develop your relationship with God. Church, as we embark on a life of giving God our best, let's save lives like an effective soldier. Let's win the prize like a competitive athlete. And let's harvest a greater size like a productive farmer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, church. Thanks, team.